You're listening to Chicago Writes, a podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. On this episode of Chicago Writes, author Maggie Smith talks about characterization and plot structure, how to be a great podcast guest, and her latest piece, Funny Business, Incorporating Humor into Your Novel. And so I also had not been a writer. I'm not one of those people that said, oh, I, I wrote cool stories when I was eight years old. No, mm-hmm. I didn't do that. <laughs> I started writing 2017. I mean, okay. I come out of a journalistic background. I had okay. that uh, for a couple of years. I went to Northwestern. So I had some some background in writing journalism, mm-hmm. uh, but that's a, a different kind of writing. And no, I'm very much of a uh, plotter. I think the reason but is- But first, first, a couple of writing. quick announcements from our CWA calendar. The CWA Book of the Year contest submissions opened on June 1st. If you have a book that was published between July 1st, 2022 and June 30th, 2023, you may submit it to the CWA Book of the Year awards. The contest is open to members and non-members alike, and to authors and publishers. We accept submissions in four categories, traditional fiction, indie fiction, traditional nonfiction, and indie nonfiction. Please follow the guidelines on the entry form below and be sure your book is submitted to the correct category. Entries will be accepted until August 1st, 2023. Entries postmarked after midnight on August 1st, 2023 will not be accepted. Finalists will be announced in October. Winners will be announced in December. The winners will be honored at a ceremony at the Warwick Allerton Hotel on January 20th, 2024. Registration is now open for the 2023 CWA Writers Educational Series. Sessions range from complimentary to $20 per session. Registration is required for all. Paid sessions are $15 for members and $20 for non-members. September 23rd, 2023, What Makes a Successful Website for Authors with Celeste Anton of Dandelion Web Marketing and on November 11th, 2023, Fear of Success and How to Overcome It with Lori Shear. This is a free event, but you must register as space is limited. To learn more about each session, check out the education page at your writer's resource, chicagorights.org. Wright City Magazine is currently open for submissions. Wright City Magazine is published by the Chicago Writers Association. We welcome fiction, nonfiction, and quality poetry. Every story has essential elements which make it worth reading. Prior to submitting your piece to our magazine for consideration, please ensure that your story has the following elements. Your story begins in the middle of the action. You have introduced a protagonist. The protagonist has a goal. Something is at stake. Something or someone prevents the protagonist from achieving the goal which creates conflict. There is an inciting incident or complication that forces the protagonist to act. There is a unique tone, voice, and writing style. The setting is described without slowing the pace of the story. The dialogue is realistic and serves a purpose. 
Please be sure that your work has been proofread and or copy edited before submitting. See our submission guidelines before you submit your work. Include your full name, the title of your submission, your email address, and website link if available, plus a personal photograph and a short 150 word bio. Include the title of your piece and the subject line. While submissions previously published on personal blogs are acceptable, we do not accept submissions previously published in other publications, including those that have been self-published. Upon publication, we pay $50 to CWA members, $25 for non-members per prose piece, and $35 for members, and $10 non-members per poem. If we have passed on one of your submissions, please wait 60 days before submitting again. For prose, please submit no more than one prose piece at a time. Prose should be single-spaced, Times New Roman font, and no longer than 1800 words. Submit in Microsoft Word, not PDF. For poetry, submit no more than three poems at a time. Poems should be single-spaced in a Times New Roman font. Email your submission to editor WriteCityMag, all one word, lowercase, at chicagorights.org. Please keep in mind that submissions may be edited. Now is the time to join Chicago Writers Association. It's open to writers and authors anywhere in the world. Unlock a wealth of writer and author resources, programs, and benefits for just $25 per year by visiting chicagorights.org or click on the link in the notes below. Chicago Writers Association membership, by the way, makes a great gift. And our website, chicagorights.org, is a resource for your writing success as well. Chicago Writes offers tools and a wealth of information to help you become the writer that you were meant to be. Check out our blog with tips and insights on the art and business of writing by some of Chicago's best-known writers, like marketing tips, the importance of networking, where and how to find better readers, the pros and cons of indie publishing, the art of misdirection, how to keep your readers on their toes, and so much more. 24-7, 365 days a year at chicagorights.org backslash blog. Join us at the Printer's Row Lit Fest. The Chicago Writers Association returns to Printer's Row Lit Fest on September 9th and 10th, 2023. We will have 60 member authors and booksellers under our tent spread out over the two-day event. Note, we have sold out all of our open slots for the weekend, but if you'd like to add your name to the waitlist in the event of any cancellations, please send an email to info at chicagorights.org with the subject heading, Add Me to the Printer's Row Waitlist. We look forward to seeing you at the fest. You're listening to Chicago Writes, a podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. And now, without further ado, my conversation with author and writer Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith founded ArtSource, a leading art consulting company. In 2017, she switched gears to pursue a dream to be a full-time writer. Her debut novel, Truth and Other Lies, is about truth and coming clean to yourself and about yourself. It is about perseverance and second chances. Maggie is the host of the podcast, Hear Us Roar, for the Women's Fiction Writers Network, 
which boasts over 110 episodes and is available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. She is a frequent blogger on the topic of writing, including the, the recent piece uh, titled Funny Business, Incorporating Humor into Your Novel, uh, which we will discuss very shortly. Her website is maggiesmithwriter.com, and I'll post that in the notes below. Wow, welcome. It's so good to have you here on uh, uh, on, on the podcast, on the Chicago Writers Association podcast. Thank you very it much for having me. Feels like it's long overdue, especially on the strength of uh, Truth and Other Lies. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was, that's was that been out for 18 months now. So. Uh-huh. And, and and I'm just I'm just catching up. So, uh, <laughs> so I have I have to start here. Uh, you you wrote in your bio when my husband starts to lobby for for us to move to a warmer climate. I point to fires, tornadoes, and rising sea levels as the reason to stay put in the middle of the heartland. Yes, yes. I know I'm, that's I'm, even more true than when I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling all of my friends. I'm thinking about moving to Florida. Do not move to Florida. I've got family in Texas. <laughs> no, I'm afraid they're all going to move to Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we've got we've got uh, Lake Michigan. You know, I, I went to my dad's funeral a number of years ago, and I walked out into into hundred and five degree heat. Someone made the comment, "Yeah, but it's dry heat." I said, "So is an oven." I don't, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not it's moving. The Desert. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And we have this wonderful Lake Michigan, which uh, none of us will ever outlive. So we've got plenty of drinking water, where the rest of the the rest of the country is uh, kind of drying up. Yep. Yeah. So we, we've we've got some. Why are we water. telling people about this? Let's don't tell them about it. They're all going to be moving. Here. You're right. You're right. Uh, mom's <laughs> mom's work. Moving on. Uh, and and this, by the way, uh, when my husband was wooing me, he presented me with a box filled with every Agatha Christie mystery ever published, uh, which he'd scoured used bookstores for months to find. I thought I was the only one to ever do that. My wife was oh, you a huge Agatha Christie fan. <laughs> and for for our first anniversary, when she when she first arrived in the United States, he sounds like a good guy. Yeah, so. I went. I went all hardback for her. How did How did he do? Oh well, yeah. There you go. There you we go. We're on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I went to use bookstores. So, um, <laughs> you're a, you're a photographer as well. I I, I want to tell folks it's amateur worth photographer, <laughs> uh, but it, uh, exemplary work. It's worth uh, a stop at your site just for that. It's composition, conflict, observation, characterization. Even irony and humor relate directly to writing. Those many ways of telling a story all feed back to that inter that internal storytelling narrative, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's all part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and photography helps you notice details and uh -huh. notice things in different ways. We're writing pictures. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's true. Yeah, and and I I saw that a photography background crept into uh, into one of your characters in Truth and Other yeah. Lies. Mm -hmm. You know, let, let's talk about Truth and Other Lies first of all. You kept me going through every page, Maggie. It's a a hollow roll of a story in which every character is essentially knotted into the story and baked in seamlessly. How about, how about that for an, an, an analogy? Uh, throughout the book, like Nick Russo, uh, even little Matteo uh, with, with his comment about kissing in the internet, 
And why would it say something that wasn't true? I can almost guarantee, by the way, no one in history has ever had their book described as a hollow roll of, of warm goodness. Um, but how do you con <laughs> how do you construct your stories? Um, meticulous characterization uh, and outlines, storyboarding, organically seat of the pants, intuitively. How how are you actually existing, uh, or is that you exactly actually existing in the bodies of the characters, or, or some combination of all those? Well, this is my debut uh -huh. novel, and so I also had not been a writer. I'm not one of those people that said, "Oh, I, I wrote little stories when I was eight years old." No, uh -huh. I didn't do that. <laughs> I started writing 2017. I mean, okay. I come out of a journalistic background. I had okay. that uh, for a couple of years. I went to Northwestern. So I had some some background in writing journalism, mm -hmm. uh, but that's a, a different kind of writing. And no, I'm very much of a uh, plotter. I think the reason is when I first started writing, I didn't even know what a scene was. I remember yeah. the first editor that talked to me and she said, well, we're going to start right at the scene level and I'm going to teach you what that's about. Wow. So I didn't even know what I was doing. And I wrote an entire novel with actually these same three roles in it, a mother, a daughter, and a mentor, mm -hmm. but a totally different plot. Oh, interesting. And got to the end of it and had editors say, oh, there's this big coincidence right at the beginning that just is too big a coincidence. It just, you cannot write that. You have to start over again. And I, so I did start over again and wrote a different novel, but that taught me that I don't want to keep starting over again because it takes a lot of time to write a novel. And so I am much more of a planner and plotter. And I have written my second novel, which is a psychological suspense, tentatively called Blind Spot. And that yeah. one, I, I really started with the outline and, and the characters and the plot and, and did all of that in a really loose form okay. before I began writing the first sentence. So um, I'm very much on that side of the, of the fence. Yeah, it, it's, it's such a strategically structured book where, where all the parts come together. Um, I, I don't think there's any loose ends. I, I, when, when I, I talk to people about writing, I always put it like this. You're, you're basically designing a complex engine yes. and all the wires have to be connected precisely. Otherwise it, it's going to skip. It's not going to run right. And ultimately it's going to crash. Well, I did have some fairly good editors along the way yeah. and they did help me because the, you've read the book and, and I had a different ending to mm -hmm. begin with. I do have a kind of an open-ended ending, although I kind of think people should be able to figure out what's going to happen. And I didn't feel like I needed three more pages to, to spell it all out for them. Yeah, I, I um, thought I thought the open ending, the, the sort of pseudo open ending that, that you have, because there's a it's it's a resolution, um, but it's an open resolution. Yeah, it's it, kind of like I'm not sure how that's going to happen, but I kind of know it's going to happen. But I had a different ending in which the quote bad guy. Uh, one and the editor that first read it said well that won't do wow. <laughs> you're gonna have to change that and I said well I don't know how to change that and 
I've tried that. I knew that was a problem. And she said, well, th that's your job as a writer. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> so uh, it didn't always have the ending it has now. And uh, I did figure it out. But there were things along the way that weren't all planned out. And, yeah. and particularly the mother role, I think, was not as deep when I first wrote it. I described actually on my website and I've talked about before how much of this came out of my relationship with my mother. And I don't mm -hmm. think even now I probably understand my mother very well. Um, and she is deceased, so I talk about her in the yeah, third person. Yeah. I, I think that was uh, led to me writing the, the mother character somewhat superficially initially and not going real in-depth and not really understanding what made her tick as much. And that was a matter of a good editor kind of forcing me again to go back and deepen that character. Because actually, although... The, the plot itself revolves around a lot around a famous journalist who's the mentor of my mm -hmm. protagonist mm -hmm. um, an investigative reporter. The actual inner character arc, I guess you'd say, is a mother and daughter love story and that the mother and daughter are at odds at, in the beginning of the book and by the end of the book they have reached a much better relationship. Yeah, I'd say relationships are kind of at the cornerstone of the book. Uh, so you you write this. I had a prickly relationship with my with my mother. We were strangers to each other, shouting across the great expanse of changing women's roles. No way would I be like her, a housewife in middle America. As far as I could see, all she did was cook and clean the house, which was not the life I had planned for myself which I made sure to tell her every chance I got. And she, a product of the Depression and the World War, thought my dreams of care, of a career in journalism were cockeyed and unattainable. Um, you you write that with with a degree of narrative angst, even, but it's, it, it's even-handed and totally familiar, but without the requisite emotional baggage. Yeah? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think I still have an emotional baggage from, from my upbringing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but hopefully I'm more mature and view it in a more philosophical way, I guess. I mean, to a, to a degree when we're, when we're writing fiction, we're all writing a certain degree of, of autobiography. Um, and particularly in a debut, I think. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and when you're not, I'm not writing historical fiction. So this is contemporary Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm, you know, writing it about women. Uh, so mm -hmm. the same gender, the same race, the same socioeconomic status as, as myself. And, mm -hmm. and even to the point of my protagonist is 25 and she went to Medill School of Journalism. So mm -hmm. yes, there are biographical things going on. Um, and that's not uncommon. I don't, think in a first novel uh you you, you set it up what you're more familiar with exactly you you set it up very very nicely with that generational observation the depression world war that she went through and and that isn't megan's experience life experience at all um, well and that's also part of what's going on in the book it, it does have several yeah. different themes yes. the mother daughter the mentor uh -huh. or if, if you feel like i did which the passage you read where do you look for a role model? And yeah. oftentimes I was looking 
to women that I was working with that were my supervisors or my bosses or something like that. They were older, had families, but they also had careers. And so I was looking to them for role models. Mm -hmm. But I also think in the book, I, I have a theme of generational gap in that I have three generations of women, really the young girl, the middle-aged one, and, and the older yeah. mentor. And they each see the world in a little bit different way, not partly their own personalities, but partly how old they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, the oldest one is, you know, commenting during, during the book mm-hmm. about how she's at the point of, of life where everything is about loss. She's worried about losing things and holding on to things. And that's part of why she's so upset when uh, she gets charged with the accused of plagiarism, basically, because she sees everything that she's worked so hard for uh, falling apart. So I think I was also uh, uh, playing with the generational gaps. As mm-hmm. Well. Mm-hmm. And you, you have you, you kind of offer a couple of, of sort of shifting uh, mentors from Megan, who, who's who's a yeah. badass, by the way. Um, <laughs> As I was. Still there am. you go. There you, nice, nice. Any any fist fights with neo Nazis anytime soon? <laughs> no, I no, I don't know judo, but or whatever. She, that was a great. That was a great. That was a great scene. I'll, 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 I'll leave it for people to pick up the book and and read it. Uh, but very satisfying. You have you have Diaz, the the editor of the newspaper that she applies to and wants to work for. And then uh, Simon, who runs the PR agency that, that the PR agency rather, that Megan works for, who surprisingly has, has a nose for truth more than spin, right? Yeah. I think he's a very, I mean, I don't think there's too many people, even her mother who is running for office, which yeah, you typically yeah. think of, oh, well, they never tell the truth. You know, she is very much of a truth teller and winds up telling a really big truth about herself yeah, during yeah. the novel. So, yeah, I think I'm playing with the idea of the, the person you think is telling the truth is maybe not. And the person that maybe you're doubting is is really a straight shooter. So mm-hmm. you can't really judge people until you get to know them and, and do, work yeah. with them or interact with them. Uh, he he drives Simon drives a significant plot point by engaging Megan's journalism instincts, asking her to mm-hmm. dig into her client's past, just as Megan's mother's revelation about running for office drives her to make uh, a rather faithful career decision. I mean, yeah. that's why no newspaper will hire her is because they don't want to hire the mm-hmm. daughter of a politician that's in the middle of a contested race. Yeah, so they're yeah. saying, you know, give it two or three months after the election, come back and we'd be glad to put you on staff. But yeah. uh, at the moment, she's kind of, I need a job. And so she stuck. takes this PR job, which mm-hmm. she views as very much antithetical to journalism, <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. which is like, and, and, and Jocelyn, the older mentor is saying, well, you know, you write stories. That's what this is. That's what PR is. And and no spoilers, uh, but you you nuance a couple of issues, which uh, like the right to life, the pro and and uh, which became uh, a lot more prominent. Remember, I wrote this like yes, three years ago. Yes, yeah. So you offer a number of different perspectives on that 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 complicates that that issue or nuances that issue, but from a woman's perspective. Yeah, and I was trying to do that and not 
and and I think also so many times you read a book and it's got a controversial subject like right to life, right to <laughs> choose, and um, by the end people change their mind. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I don't think people change their mind that quickly, or sometimes never at all. Yeah. And I was trying to say, well, neither one of these people really changed their mind about the issue. It's just that there were uh, nuances to why they felt like they were mm -hmm. taking those positions that you didn't understand at the beginning. And now maybe you understand better, um, you, but they didn't change anybody's mind. Um, you never pontificate about, about issues. You sort of lay them out through the character's eyes and experiences, uh, which, which I, I, I found really oh, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. There's a brightness to your narrative. The winner of the, uh, the book of the year award for traditional nonfiction, this Jade World by uh, Ira Sukrunrang, uh this year. Uh, he and I had a conversation in which I noted that there was there was a darkness or a shadow that came through in in the verbiage and the word usage and uh, and the sentence length and all that in in the opening chapter and a mood that suddenly opened to this brighter, more positive prose. And he said, that he he moved from writing in a closed space for that first chapter to a brighter, more positive space at his mother's house in Thailand. I think where we write matters. Would you agree? I don't know. I've never. I've always written in this same room. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I would think it could probably hurt. I mean, mm -hmm. he's talking about a major thing. It's not like going down the street to a coffee shop uh, where mm -hmm. he's still basically coming home to the same house. He's talking about moving to a different country and being in a totally different environment culturally. But yeah, that's an interesting observation. Ira, Ira also teaches literature and, and he has his, his students change their writing location uh, from time to time to, to open up those visual cues and those visual vistas uh, in order to, in order to, to find a different voice in in their writing and uh i just i loved i loved the airiness and the life and the light of um truth and other lies it was oh, thank you it was it was i very... probably don't know any other way to write that's probably <laughs> just a style well then you're doing it right <laughs> <laughs> i mean the psychological suspense that i've written is obviously a little bit darker because mm -hmm. uh, there's a murder. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, but I think I think I'm more straightforward maybe okay. that's it. It's okay. not as literary, flowery sentences and things like that. I'm mm -hmm. really more mm -hmm. and I think the pacing that you talked about also comes from that. Maybe it's just I don't know how to write more literarily. Uh, so I'm just kind of observational and much more character driven, I think. Yeah, and and that comes through in the in the dialogue. This is a this is a dialogue strong narrative. It flows so freely. You you by the by the way, you you don't abandon uh, your narrative description either, and and the thoughts behind the words, thoughts and feelings and sensations behind the words and actions of the characters. Those are all critically important. But do you begin with conversation uh, and build out? And what is the key to writing believable dialogue? 
Boy, I wish I knew. It just seems to come naturally to me. Okay. Um, I have been told that I have uh, skills in writing dialogue. You do. And I I just hear it. I I hear that when I understand my characters and they open their mouths, I kind of know how they'd say stuff. I seem to, I think it's because I've just been a huge reader all my life, which is not unusual for writers to say they read all the time. And I do. So I think I've just read so much that when I read clunky dialogue, I think, well, that doesn't sound right. And I, I just kind of, it's an intuitive thing. I'm not sure I was trained to do that or that I studied how to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just feels, I studied a little bit, some of the mechanics of breaking the sentence in two and putting a action tag in there and some of those uh, writerly tricks, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the the style of the dialogue, it just either feels right or it doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, some of that's rhythm also, I, I think, of how people talk. And I'm a an extrovert, so I do talk a lot to people and I talk a lot and the podcast, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. talking to people on the podcast. And so maybe I just um, do a lot of talking and do a lot of listening to people. I was trained as a psychologist a long time ago. I have a PhD in psychology and that's all about listening. Maybe that it just seems to come naturally to me. It's, it's almost embarrassing. Like I shouldn't be listening to this. It's that free and intimate and personal uh, in, in these very personal and very private conversations between people in, in the book. It's just magnificent. Megan's job interview, an editor tells her, Journalism is a sacred trust. He'd blow a gasket if a news anchor spouted personal opinions on the air and this whole hoopla over alternative facts. Don't get me started. Have we forgotten the power of fiction to explore big ideas? A lot of what I read in fiction does explore big ideas. Uh huh. I, I don't think fiction writers are are shying away from big ideas. Right now, I'm reading lots of things about climate change and about the near future and things that are facing us in that way. Mm-hmm. So I think that, and, and I read mainly fiction, I guess, mm-hmm. because I write fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not as, as familiar with what's happening in the nonfiction area, but a lot of the fiction I read, and maybe that's what I gravitate toward, uh, there's lots to choose from out there. It does seem like they are dealing with a lot of the bigger issues. And obviously I had an agenda and I was writing that more closer to the last election, I think. And so there is some uh, thinly veiled critique of what I saw happening in the media. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I was raised in the old journalism ethics of uh, you tell the truth, you hunt until you find the truth you don't pu- you don't say your own opinion in there and and creative nonfiction, you, you can of course say your own opinion but i was letting some of my <laughs> flag fly there i guess about it and in fact i dedicate the book uh the last the last acknowledgement is to journalists uh that i feel like during the uh certain times in our our history mm-hmm. uh have been really challenged to stand up for their profession. Uh, Certainly in other countries have been at at risk to lose their lives for for doing that. 
but even in this country have been maligned for telling the truth and exposing uh, what was really going on. At sort of the heart of the of the, the the novel is is a big ethical issue with uh, with a famous journalist. We're not gonna we're not gonna give any any spoilers away. I mean, so you're trying not to give any spoilers away. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's hard to it, talk about it. Isn't it, it? <laughs> it is, and I, I keep I keep looping back to the book. And, well, she and is the, she is accused of plagiarism. She yes, is accused of plagiarism, yeah, and I, yeah. I say that pretty. I mean, that is yeah. something that you find out, but yeah. I, yeah. I'm okay with talking about that. Okay, okay, um, but that that honesty, that that sense of ethics, is really something that is that's the domain of of a fiction writer. And I've I've said this before. Your book reminded me of a time in which we relied on artists and writers to ponder and synthesize these these complex moral ethical and cultural questions rather than I guess the lawyer class of pundits, which now only polarize us via courtroom strategy and positioning, right? All of all of the news people now uh, and all the pundits on on the news channels and on talk radio and they all they're all lawyers. They all have lawyer backgrounds. They all speak to us as lawyers. So they don't they don't speak to us in terms of of ethics and the exploration of ethics and and morality, they speak to us in terms of sides. Well, do you consider pundits journalists? That's kind of I I, I think I See, think that line pundits, has been yeah. I, I I think of pundits are people that are opinionated. They have them on because yeah. they have opinions. Yeah. And journalists when they're writing stories generally are trying to not have opinions about yeah. Yeah. what they're writing about yeah. uh, because then they get biased and they start. And, and that has happened an awful lot in journalist journalism yeah. Yeah. lately yeah. that we get stories that are, that are biased toward a particular point of view. And then we just read those and then it reinforces our point of view and we just grow wider and wider apart in terms of how we feel. And, and it gets back to, do we as a country have things that we all believe in? And I don't know if that's part of what's going on is that, that it's hard for us to say, what does this whole country, every person that is a citizen in this country still believe in? What are some core values, core tenets that we do believe in? Equality, what about? Uh, free speech. What about whatever? They don't see that as a value, or they don't interpret it the way you do. Now right. we're told what to say, or told what to think, and and we're we're shuffled off or parcelled off into these these polarizing positions, right? Also, writers themselves, the writing community, at least yeah. as I view it, as I'm in it, ha have been talking of nothing else for the last two or three months. Then ban books and mm -hmm. AI. Mm -hmm. And both of those get at what you're talking about. Yeah. Ban books are like, I don't even want you, your thoughts to be out there where yeah. people could find them. Yeah. I'm going to ban your books so nobody can see what you're writing. Yeah. Or what you think. Yeah. And AI is kind of the opposite. You know, it's it's 
let's just regurgitate stuff that people have already said mm -hmm. and you don't really know where it's coming from. I'm not anti-AI. I mean, I think they have a lot of, AI has a lot of good things that we can get from it, mm -hmm. but writers are certainly very concerned about both those issues. And, um, and none of this is particularly funny, humorous. No. <laughs> Uh, which, which we're going to get to Is that your in, segue? Just, in just a moment. <laughs> it will be in just a moment. I just wanted to make this because this so rarely happens uh, in in books that I read. I got this this intense upwelling of emotion towards the end from Megan's mother's speech that was just so powerful. It it was it was spot on right on right on the money and and unassailable for its its logic and its beauty and its poetry it it was just just stunning uh, uh, and we'll, we'll leave it there for for the novel but it, it was beautiful it was a beautiful moment that's what every writer wants to hear there you go there you go but they uh, moved the reader you you absolutely did and uh, and i was so sorry to put this book down that I just wanted to keep reading well, and I have to reading. Write, and write reading. a sequel, then I guess. <laughs> no, the the sequel I've I've been toying with writing uh -huh. is about the mother, the mother going to Washington D.C. Oh, interesting. And uh, yeah. discovering yeah some nefarious something or other, and calling in a character we haven't talked about, Dragon. Uh huh. Uh huh. Dragon to help her with whatever she finds. So here we've come full circle. The character that was hard for me to write and I felt like I didn't understand well it is the one I want to write the sequel about nice. <laughs> so sometimes that happens you know it's uh -huh. like oh well okay I didn't know I wanted to write about that I kind of joked that when I first started writing I told people I could never write about mothers and daughters because mm -hmm. I have not had children biological children myself mm -hmm. and as we discussed I wasn't had a did not have a real good great relationship with my mother I can't stop writing about them. My <laughs> psychological suspense has a mother-daughter and my third book has a mother-daughter. So it's like, okay, I guess this is what I am writing about. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's the, the great cathartic and... Um, that's where the writer's yeah, psyche yeah. comes in. As yes, you, yes. We're all dealing with, with, our, with our inner demons through our art. Uh, so you began blogging in 2019. I did. I don't even know how I began that. I, I, I signed up Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers. I don't know why I belong to that because it's based in Colorado and okay. I'm in Wisconsin. Uh -huh. uh, but I was a member of that and they put out a, hey, we need some bloggers. Some people have quit and we need some bloggers. And I thought that would keep me honest. That would keep me writing a blog. Every time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've been doing that uh, and found it really kind of enjoyable uh, that it forces me to think about writing a little bit and it's just once mm -hmm. a month so it's not real onious so it's it's a great it's a great way to to build and maintain to maintain an audience uh who becomes invested in you and and your your writing and your your novels and there's a a build out lesson where where you're learning as you're synthesizing uh these these blog posts for for an audience right yeah 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 um, you wrote a piece back in February 2021, uh, How to Be a Top-Notch Podcast Guest. I, I suppose that could wor also work for radio, but radio seems like it's sort of sort of dying, at least 
at least for the for the fiction writer unless unless you have a political point of view but that feels like a non-starter for a lot of us uh, i spent a decade in radio one of my first guests on my playtime pod uh, on my playtime program radio program was randy richardson who i know oh, you know yeah. uh who had just published his uh who's uh, he just published i think his his second novel and was getting ready to to publish cub sessions with um uh, becky sarwate and by the way randy has just published a, a a great, a really fun novel, Havana Hangover. He was nervous and and not at all used to to being in front of a microphone. Uh, we had a conversation that media interview experience was a necessary skill for a writer. What drove you to write this particular piece? Well, hmm. it was because I am a podcast host, uh-huh. and um, actually, I've I. This this week we had, as of this week we had have had twenty thousand downloads. Nice of, of the uh, podcast. We're almost up to two hundred episodes. I noticed you said one hundred and ten, and that was at one time true. But we've done uh, I think one hundred and ninety two or so. Sometimes the people that I interview are very experienced. Mm-hmm. I'm not the first podcast they've been on. They have their patter down. They've got mm-hmm. their stories, etc. I try and make it be like. I tell them at the beginning, before we even start taping, this is just like we're best friends, only yeah. we just met, <laughs> and we're having coffee. And hopefully that is kind of what they feel like by the time the, the thing ends. Mm-hmm. But some of them, this is the first time that they've had a podcast uh, interview. Yeah. And yeah. so they're nervous, and they don't quite know, and they're reading things, and they're not really giving a, giving me a conversation. So I wanted to help people learn how to do that and i think podcasting is one of the major things i always advise people to do when they're trying to think about marketing their book because one it's almost always free and there's just lots of them and Mm -hmm. people really like them and so i think it's important for you to learn how to write it's not that much different than appearing in a bookstore You've got an audience and they want to hear about you yeah. and they have your best interest at heart. It's not like they're your enemy. Uh, they want to hear your stories. I oftentimes don't talk to them a great deal before I start interviewing them because I want to be the naive reader as well. Mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. say, oh, that sounds interesting. You know, tell me more about that. I'm trying to reflect what I think the audience yeah. is wanting to know from what they've just said. So there's a lot of active listening, I guess that's what we call it in in psychology and what actors call it. There's a lot of listening to the interviewee Mm -hmm. and they give you clues about what your audience is probably wanting to know. That PhD in psychology serves you very well um, because (laughs) I I can tell you a lot of hosts aren't like that. So we, we had guests on the radio program who came in shaking and crying, physically ill. Um, oh, really? Oh, oh wow. my! Oh my gosh! And so, Harry Kendall, my co-host, and I always sought to to make the guest feel comfortable and welcome, much like you do. And th- and that's obvious the rapport that you have 
in the number of of podcasts of yours that I've listened to um, that you that you immediately start off with that with that really strong conversational rapport that that friendly rapport. And I, was, I think they view me also yeah. as a as a contemporary. I mean, I've they are debut author. I've just released my debut eighteen months ago, so I know what they're going through. I I published with a small press, so if they're with an agent, I know what looking for an agent is like because yeah, I did that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if they self-publish, I've, I've talked to lots of people that self-publish, so I know what that's like. And sometimes I don't know what it's like. They they tell me they did something or they're with a publisher. I go, oh, I've never heard of that person before. Tell me more about that. I'm reacting like somebody would naturally. Yeah. I, again, I, I, I got I to say, those those are rare qualities. I was a guest on the Tom Hartman show um, from my first play a, a number of years, 10, uh, 10 or 12 years ago. And he was he was very careful to make me feel right at home before the interview. We we talked a little bit, bantered a little bit, uh, and then he said, "Okay, we're going to start. If you're ready, we'll, we're going to come back from the break." Boom, we hit it, and and that was great. A week or so later, I was talking to an East Coast uh, host named Grant Cardone. <laughs> there was no welcome. There was no "How are you?" Producer came on and said, "We have two minutes to air. Stand by." I was I was put on hold. He came on. We were live. We hit the ground at 110 miles an hour <laughs> for a physically. I was I I came out of that that interview a ball of sweat. Oh. Physically, you know, exhausting six minute whirlwind, and then I was off. No, thank you. No, what? Just boom. I was done. I don't know. You know, you you tape this and edit it. I tape mine and edit it. So uh-huh. it's not live. Yeah. And I think yeah. that also helps people. I say, you know, if yeah. anything happens or you say anything you don't want me to, you know, just tell me and I'll cut it out. So I think maybe that I, I have very rarely done podcasts that are live. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I think that is also what people like about podcasts is they're usually edited. That's true. That's true. Um, I'm just going to touch on, on a couple points here because we're here to talk comedy, damn it. We are here to talk comedy. <laughs> uh, b- before the show, Laughing as- at least we're, we're getting there. We're, we are. We're we're working through the uh, the. the I, I want people to know about Maggie Smith. You you do a lot of great stuff. Uh, so we're we're kind of we're kind of hitting all the bases here. Um, before the show, ask the host who their target target audience is and why they tune in. That's so so important for your own edification, but it's also helpful to pull people in from that target demo to points of interest that relate to them, right? Sometimes guests don't realize, they think this is all about them. But yeah. it, from the host standpoint, it's all about their audience. <laughs> it is. It's like, am I delivering a guest? And yeah. are yeah. we talking about something yeah. Yeah. that would be helpful to the audience to know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's helpful for the person being interviewed to if they are publicizing a book, in my case, the podcast is focusing yeah. on their book. So yeah. it does help that, but that's yeah. not why I'm doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. doing it because my audience is interested in learning like I was when I was starting writing. Mm-hmm. So I want to not just have it be about my book, my book, my book, mm-hmm. but what can you teach? And one of the things I always say is, you know, you've released a book. Uh, a lot of people in our audience haven't done that yet. What would you definitely do again? And what would you not spend money on or not spend the time on? Because I want them to learn. Uh, And when I went to 
released my book, I was probably at that point had a hundred interviews mm-hmm. under my belt. Boy, what a learning experience for me. I had talked to a hundred debut authors in my genre, which is women's fiction. So I had all kinds of, it was like going to class every yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, during the recording, this isn't time to be shy. You're right. The most difficult interviews I've had were where the, uh, were with the authors who answered in one succinct sentence and then shut down or, or one word. Um, I've, I've had a number yeah, I, of those. I'm getting out my little notes and saying, oh my goodness, I'm out of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got 24 pages on Maggie Smith, by the way. Uh, and you're a hell of a conversationalist. Uh, you and I would not run out of things to discuss, I think, uh, I think through 2047. Uh, one more before we get on to our funny business. Tell personal anecdotes. People love a great story, right? Oh, yeah. And these people are storytellers, supposedly. <laughs> so they should have a few underneath their belt. And and, <laughs> and it helps. It gets yeah. old to you because you've told it on every interview or at every appearance mm-hmm. or whatever. But it's not old to the people that are listening to you. And, uh, and there can be there can be a familiarizing effect through that, or or a settling effect if if you you're better, if yeah. you struggle or or struggling or nervous. Talk about what you know and what what your your mind is already sort of quantified and speak about that and and that'll that'll help you to relax and i usually my last question is always tell us something quirky about yourself that doesn't have to do with writing mm-hmm. and i and i usually i i'm checking before we start taping that they plan that mm-hmm. that's one of the things i ask them to plan mm-hmm. but and they'll start to tell me and i say no no don't tell me I want to be just as surprised as the audience because I think I then have a natural reaction to it. And people have told me some really bizarre things. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so usually it's a, it's a nice wrap up to make it seem like this is a person that does other stuff than writing. (laughs) What's quirky about me? Cause I, or somebody will say, I have so many quirky things. I didn't know what to pick. That usually also gets them kind of laughing and, and being more real. And people love that that exchange, that free flow of uh, of energy and conversation. Um, you you write earlier in in this piece. Uh, most hosts give you a tentative list of questions so you can uh, prep your responses yeah. for your interview. I don't, as, as an interviewer, I don't normally do that because I'm interested in in fresh perspectives, which is why I get Martin Barr from Jethro Tull to tell you about refrigerator repair. That he's done. That he's done, um, and rather, uh, but rather, rather than talking points. But uh, as I explore a topic deeper, I might share a link to that ahead of time and, and include a guest in in any esoteric material that I might I might think that I'm going to bring up, like the, all the master class on comedy writing and uh, and joke structure and and all that, which. Uh, which is my best, my my very best segue into funny business, incorporating humor into your novel. This is the reason that that I had you on. Uh, the book was just icing on the cake, and then finding out more about Maggie Smith uh, just was ice cream beside that cake. How about that? <laughs> but it seems like you've been exploring this topic 
from a number of of angles. You offer you offer these resources, uh, funny business incorporating humor into your novel, uh, and art of misdirection. Uh, how to keep your readers on on their toes? Did that help you with your novel, Truth and Lies, which has some has a sarcastic title? Um, or was <laughs> it, it learning? It does, yeah, beautifully sarcastic. Or or was it learning those lessons in real time that sent you on a journey to fine tune that aspect of your storytelling acumen? I think it's probably neither one of those. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think I am a, a person that probably has a more positive view of life and optimistic view mm-hmm, of life than mm-hmm. a negative one. So that's just part of my lifestyle. You're just funny. Personality. Fun? Yeah, I guess. You're so. just funny. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it was interesting this morning. I, for curiosity's sake, I went on Amazon and sorted by funny novels just okay. to see what they said. And uh, it was just interesting the ones that came up the first, the best selling funny novels mm-hmm. uh, because they were things like Lesson in Chemistry, which was big last year, which mm-hmm. is humorous. It's written in a humorous tone. It has a lot of serious things to say about the women's movement and women in general. And it, a man called Ove, which is kind of a curmudgeon, I guess he's funny, mm-hmm. but, you know, remarkably bright creatures, which is about an octopus. So I guess mm-hmm. that's funny in and of itself, but it has much more human truths to talk about. And, and yet in the descriptions, laugh out loud funny was the key words that they kept using. And I thought, when was the yeah, last time I read yeah. something that I laughed out loud? I I laugh a lot, but I don't remember laughing out loud, like belly rolling on the mm-hmm. aisles from uh, books. Mm-hmm. I think they tend to be clever, witty, sometimes satirical, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Those books are comical books. Yeah, yeah. Lighthearted books. Uh, but I think even in more serious fiction, you oftentimes will find a character that is in there that is mm-hmm, funny mm-hmm. or a situation that is in there that is funny. I mean, Bridget Jones' Diary is a funny book, mm-hmm. but it's got a lot of serious things that it's talking about. Usually humor is most effective when it's kind of blended into the fabric of the novel versus, you know, a series of jokes or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's probably more coming out of either the situation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or the character itself. The character themselves is an amusing character or has quirky um, characteristics or something like that. I'm thinking of, of two books. Eric Idle wrote a book uh, a number of years ago. The name escapes me, uh, but it was, uh, I think it was Escape to Mars or something. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, uh, I'll correct Eric that. Eric Idle, the Monty Python guy. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that was very humorous. But I think probably a lot of people will know Douglas Adams, uh, A Hitchhiker's Guide Galaxy. to the Galaxy. Yeah. There there are writers. I'm going to do a shout out to Ann Garvin, who is a, okay. kind of a mentor of okay. mine and is in Wisconsin, does a lot of things in Chicago. I mean, she, she said her brand is I write funny and sad. And that kind of says it all in the sense that life is not necessarily all sad. Yeah. It's not all funny either. And I know when I get her newsletter, 
you know, every two weeks or every month or whatever. That is one that I always read. A lot mm -hmm. of ones I get, I go, oh, I don't have time to read that. Delete, delete, delete. But hers always has a funny anecdotal story that's true to life and is it's not laugh out loud funny. Yeah. It's like a humorous take on something that happened that probably could have happened to me yeah. in another life. And I always read it because it always makes me feel better and more optimistic about life. And, and usually it's, I'm saying, yeah, isn't life funny? That's, that's the primary <laughs> feeling I get when I finish reading it is life is sure funny, isn't it? It's rather absurd. Yeah, it's ra rather absurd, <laughs> but I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> so I think sometimes people just have that as part of their personality and yeah. certainly does have that as part. I'm yeah. not like that. I, I have to kind of purposely put humor into something I'm writing that it would be a novel, that would be a more serious piece. I would probably do it like in my book, I think Mateo would probably be the character that has, he's a little, little minor <laughs> character. He's probably the most minor character, but everything he says is kind of funny. Uh, and I had fun writing that. And I also used it yeah. as a break for the characters to react to him and also hopefully for the reader to get a little bit of break from some of the serious things that were going on. I thought there were some some very sweet moments uh, and and kind of a romantic comedy. Comedy's probably probably too strong of a word, but uh, some romantic humor. Yeah, banter. There's between, banter between yes, Nick. between Nick and Megan. And yeah. Does a writer need to know the mechanics of comedy writing, setup, payoff, punchline? tagline etc is is that is that something that a that a writer needs to understand in order to write effective comedy or effective humor probably it helps yeah. I, I think a lot of the writers that do that have i i've taken improv classes before okay um i've watched lots of comedies like everybody and again as i was talking about before it's kind of a feel for it. You know, you write the banter and you think, I wouldn't say it that way. Or you remember, or you put yourself in the situation. If I just met a guy what, and I was kind of wanting to flirt around with them, what would I say? And, and what would he say back that would be kind of flirty? And so that's just having lived through it and having read it and having watched it mm -hmm. and just the feel for it. I, I love the, uh, I love the bogey and Bacall sort of rhythm to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. You write, uh, writing a novel is no laughing matter, or is it? Uh, incorporating humor <laughs> into your writing can add depth, lighten the mood, and make your characters more relatable. But how do you add humor without turning your novel into a comedy? Here's, uh, here's six things to keep in mind so you can strike the right balance. There's a lot in that opening paragraph. You begin uh, with finding a balance, rather, rather like, uh, no one normal is a clown all the time, right? And, and, you know, I mean, if you think of people that, you know, your circle of friends, yeah, there yeah. would be certain people that you would say yeah. are kind of funny people. They're, exactly. you, they're pleasant to be around. Uh -huh. um, I mean, I, I happen to be very good friends with a couple and the husband is the person that founded comedy sports, which is an improv. Well, I mean, of course he's funny because that's what he did for a living. Uh -huh. Um 
but his wife is also kind of funny and she was part of that. And, and so it's fun to be around them because Mm -hmm. things will happen and they'll make a joke about it. Or as opposed to some people that I have met that usually don't wind up becoming my (laughs) friends uh, who everything's kind of a downer. Everything's kind of a bad spin on it or uh and then and there can be think, ample oh, comedy in that to the party no i don't think i will invite them to the party <laughs> yeah well there, there can there there's ample comedy in in that side of it as well rendering somebody as as this morose always always a negative character there there are a lot of nuances to to writing comedy right yeah. well and, and there's lots of different kinds of comedy i mean the, yeah the indeed. whole book can be satirical less it was mm-hmm. a fairly mm-hmm. well-known book a few years ago that I think when the Pulitzer, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, the whole thing was very satirical. So mm-hmm. you kind of knew that going in and hopefully the marketing, the book blurb and, mm-hmm. and things and read the first page and you, you get, you get the sense that this is what you're in for. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then that just continues. Well, that's, that's a whole tone to a book. Yeah. versus one character being funny or quirky or mm-hmm. the comic relief or mm-hmm. whatever, or a situation mm-hmm. being. Uh, and then, of course, there's the whole romantic comedy kinds of things that you talked mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. where it is lighthearted. You usually get told that by the cover. It's what they would have called chiclet in the old days, and now they call rom-com. But it's, you know, contemporary romance. It's two yeah. people meeting. Yeah. Falling in love is a, is a pleasant thing, mm-hmm. and so it's in tone, kind of lighthearted, and that's what you buy it for. Yeah, I think, yeah. is escape. You're right. If your target audience is middle-aged women, you may want to include humor about family and relationships, while a younger audience might respond better to humor about current events or pop culture. Humor or hum- humor humorous moments, rather can be a way of connecting with the reader, right? But that's also a key to defining a, a character. Am I, am I close on that? Defining the character by their humor? By their humor. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I'll, use, uh, I'll use Indiana Jones as, as, a, uh, as a, a, a sublime example. At the darkest moments, he always has a quip or a comeback right. or a snarky remark or, or something. And it's not and, the time it's the mileage or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Precisely. I mean, things that we remember, like, yeah, I hate snakes and he's, he's, he's <laughs> surrounded by snakes, you know, but, but he always has, he always has these moments to sort of light, lighten a moment, but that helps define his, his character. Well, and also it, it, Wit, which is kind of what we're talking about, yeah. witty kind of people. Mm-hmm. Witty people are intelligent people. Yeah, but, you know, you have to yeah. be able to make the yeah. connection between what you're saying, the situation, and say something quippy about it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that takes intelligence, and that tells us something about the character too, that they uh, have a certain level of intelligence, and that we can count on them in other situations that aren't funny mm-hmm. to be intelligent to think think out of the box or come up with a, a, a different way of seeing things. Sherlock Holmes is oftentimes kind of funny. Mm-hmm. May, sometimes inadvertently funny. I'm not mm-hmm. sure he thinks he's being funny, but we think he's being funny. So sometimes people aren't aware that they're funny. Yeah, yeah. 
that's also that's also a great way to to involve your your reader more fully in in the narrative they're part of they're part of the joke they're part of the inside right. conversation yeah you feel like you're in the in group oh i understood yeah. that yeah last couple of minutes here i i want to spend on uh on how to build that humor muscle because i i think it's about reality ultimately and you do that exceptionally well almost painfully well in truth and other lies where your characters are very real and and they they punch when they need to punch they laugh when they need to laugh they cry when they need to cry it's it's those it's those character moments that make them real to us and so i i want to i want to try to build out a couple of a couple of ideas for people out there that 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 might not be sure where to start with writing a humorous vignette or humorous scene or a humorous line or or piece of piece of dialogue um you write write what you know personal experiences and observations can provide great material for humor for example if you have a funny story about a, a disastrous date who doesn't consider using <laughs> it as a basis for your scene in your novel Likewise, your quirky memory about a childhood pet can be incorporated into the backstory of an otherwise serious character, making them seem more well-rounded and authentic. I I, I love that paragraph. Well, I I know that you know the the dating thing comes from I between husbands I did the dating scene mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I didn't want to cry about it, so I laughed about <laughs> it a lot. <laughs> and, and 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 frankly the men that i dated helped in that in that endeavor because they were oftentimes very strangely funny mm -hmm. um, but I, again i think it's a take on life yeah and if you yeah. just spend a week going through your regular old life mm -hmm. but trying to see the humor mm -hmm. in some of the things that happen mm -hmm. how would i go about writing this as something humorous or what could have happened instead of what did happen yeah. uh, that would have made this more funny. Yeah. And those are just little kind of prompts that you could do mm -hmm. that might help you free up a little bit of how to see that. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm a great believer in learning from all the books on your bookshelf because um, instead of reading craft books, oftentimes I'll tell people, why don't you go back to the original text this yeah. seems like it's from a college professor, but uh, read the original text of this funny novel and see what they're doing. See how they end on in, in the chapter on something funny or put a, a funny situation or a funny character in. And why did they choose to do it that way? Mm -hmm. When did they choose to do it? Is that effect? Was that effective for you as the reader? Because I think we can learn so much from all the things that people have already written. Indeed, we don't indeed. Need to reinvent the wheel. I just did a uh, just did a chapter on um, medieval literature and was reading. That sounds number... very unfunny. Medieval. Literature. You would be surprised <laughs> at the insults and quips. Oh, okay. And, and jokes. <laughs> See, everything they... can be funny. <laughs> Every everything can be funny, and uh, uh, I, the last uh, chapter that. Uh, that I just completed uh, was about Shakespeare. Uh, oh, well, and we do know he's funny. He's he's extremely funny. Well, so, and that gets into people's sense of humor. What yeah, I consider yeah. funny, you might not consider funny. Yeah, 
this is this is true but so um, it won't land with every reader yeah yeah uh and and it doesn't it doesn't have to uh you you said uh, use irony and satire i love this about nick and megan is is that you sort of have this opposites attract first introduction in which she did not like him at all but there was there was something there but again that you know it's that that bogey and bacall chess match that back and forth yeah um, you're trying to show repartee. off a little bit yes yes you know you're trying to they do a little bit of uh referencing yeah uh, some obscure movies and they both know the movie dating and, negotiation uh, it was interesting that particular exchange uh, uh i quoted something of the secret mind what is it the, the jim the, carrey thing the jim carrey movie yeah yeah and um and my editor said that's an awfully old reference. Do you think people at 25 would know that? And I said, well, my stepchildren know that. Uh, and in <laughs> fact, they think of it as a cult movie and they oftentimes refer to it. So I thought, well, then that makes it even better because it's not just something current. It's something that these two people both know, but is quite old. And uh, so the fact that they both know it and are kind of showing off with each mm -hmm. other what they know about it is is the fun banter stuff it's important to always remember that you're you're grounding the humor within uh, within the narrative and and you're including the audience so so they need to be in on the situation the the, the build up the set the setup rather uh all the way through the joke right well yeah. sometimes they won't understand the joke i mean again it gets back to do you know the reference of this? Do you, yeah. It's funnier if you know the movie. Yeah. Uh, because then you're going, oh, yeah, it's not orange hair. It's, it's not green hair. It's orange hair or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you don't have to have known them, watched the movie to know that. But it's, it's, you feel more like you're in the in group and you get it. You get it more, uh, quotation marks around get it, than, than if not. And so then that, that makes you feel smart. Play with the language. Wordplay puns and clever turns of phrase can bring a smile to a reader's face. That's again, are they on the same wavelength as you? Do they have mm -hmm. the same kind of references? That gets back to know your audience. I mean, I might reference something that I think is very, everybody should know this. And my 25-year-old stepdaughter has no idea who I'm talking about. <laughs> But they'll they'll understand if if they've if they've been to a bar they've been to a high school dance and talked with a smart ass they'll they'll understand that repartee even if yes. they don't understand yes. that specific reference they'll understand that repartee right. Right. yeah uh, lighten the mood use humor to diffuse tension and provide break uh, provide provide a break from heavier themes or enhance and prolong tension right. Uh, through these little these little breaks, the this build plateau, build plateau, uh, sort of sort of like we were talking about with Indiana Jones. He'll make he'll be in a situation, he'll make a crack. It'll it'll kind of lessen the tension a little bit, so that so that the writer or the filmmaker can or storyteller can ratchet up the tension even more, which just means that Indy's got to come up with another another one liner. Well, and it's also sometimes, I mean, the famous scene that I remember from Indiana Jones, which I uh -huh. think everybody does, uh -huh. is, is you know, he's cracking the whip and cracking the whip and the swords, and, and then he just takes his gun out and shoots. 
And because right. it's the unexpected in that case. <laughs> you weren't expecting that. So they caught you. It was like, oh, that was clever. And I didn't think of that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another way that you can do it is uh, just twist the situation in an unexpected way. But the, the lightening the mood or using it for pacing is a writer trick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is something that you're doing purposely. Yeah. You say, getting pretty heavy here and I've, I've had that for three or four chapters. Yeah. I need to have a lighter mode. And that oftentimes is purposeful to give the reader a little respite yeah. uh, before you start off again. Incredibly important. And and that's that's true of every art form. Uh, again, we were before for the uh, the interview we were talking about uh, we were talking about Leo Sayer and and the conversation that I had with him, and we were talking about the the energy that an audience is subjected to inside of a pop song, and and how that's extremely difficult to maintain or to or to put a person through without a break for a 15 or 20 minute song, which is why most pop songs are, you know, three to seven minutes. Fiction writing is much, is very much the same way, right? You you can't just keep it at that pace all the time. Yeah, exactly. It has to be leavened with something, even a, a James Bond or a Mission Impossible or something mm -hmm. like that that's very heavy action. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll notice that there will be something funny will happen. And that's, I think, purposeful. Would you recommend as an exercise to write about a life's experience and then dissect what makes it humorous or or light for someone who wants to learn the art of of humor storytelling better? I would say read stuff that's funny. Okay. Read okay. stuff that's humorous. Read okay. articles, read Ann Garvin's books, read Annie, Amy Parpell's books, mm -hmm. read some of the rom-coms, read less, all kinds of different books that are out there. But but do it in a, read like a writer, <laughs> I mm -hmm. guess is what mm -hmm. I usually mm -hmm. say. Don't just read it. Read like a writer and say, oh, as a reader, I reacted well there. What did he do? Yeah. What was yeah. she doing? Yeah. Um, and why did I have that reaction? And then learn from it. And, and then you can try and write your own. Yeah. Somewhat patterning yourself after that. Yeah. You offer a warning on the use of humor or a, or a guidance, uh, a caveat, as it were. Uh, while humor is a powerful tool, it is important to use it with caution and sensitivity. Be sure to avoid making jokes at the expense of marginalized groups uh, or using humor to trivialize serious issues like abuse or addiction, uh, which goes back to understanding your your audience. But would a helpful rule of thumb be steer clear of stereotypes? I mean, it's not that you can't have something humorous happen inside a mental hospital, mm -hmm. for example, but you also have to do it with respecting the characters as human beings and Indeed. That you're painting them with a full brush not just a stereotypical brush and and this might this might be a good a good place to reach out to your beta readers for right. example of your work or sensitivity readers or something like that. yes yeah very uh, very good have fun while incorporating humor into your novel uh, can be a challenge. It's also a lot of fun. It offers uh, offers highlights to maintain to maintain your interest as a writer as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 
I mean, I had more of Mateo in that I had to cut back because I had several editors say, yeah, I don't understand why this character is even here. Yeah. He's not really adding anything to the story. And I was yeah. like, oh, yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I understand what they're saying. He's not adding anything to the plot. If you took him out, he he would it would be the same. I mean, I would have to make a few changes, but it was just interesting to sometimes a, a naive character, which is kind of what that person was because of his yeah. age, can say things that if it came from an adult character, it would sound strange. Mm -hmm. um, but he can say it because he's kind of innocent and doesn't quite understand how the world works. Mm -hmm. And so he's talking about what, in fact, is Title IX or whatever women being in sports mm -hmm. but he doesn't understand it that way he just understands that you know the little girl that makes all the baskets that he wants on his team isn't being allowed to play right so him, it's not a political issue it's like we could win if she was on our team why isn't she on our team <laughs> and so you can say things that in the mouths of younger or mm -hmm. uh, funnier mm -hmm. characters that maybe you couldn't say in a in a different way I'm glad you brought that up. That was uh, that was a great, great uh, little uh, little moment in in the book. This is an important article. It got me thinking about a lot of things, and there's there's much more to the article. But we want people to go to MaggieSmithWriter.com and read the full article. Um, and all the other blogs that I've yes, yeah, the, about. <laughs> yeah. There 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 are some there are some I, I have I have excuse me half a dozen. Uh, uh, in my in my notes that uh, I I wish we had time to refer to uh, because they're they're all wonderfully written and and uh, insightful and uh, just magnificent. I'll end with this. Monty Python's Eric Idle once said, "Levity is the opposite of gravity." Maggie Smith is the host of the podcast Heroes Roar for the Women's Fiction Writers Association. Her latest blog piece is Funny Business, incorporating humor into your novel. Her debut novel is Truth and Other Lies. Go get it. It's a great book. All of which and more on the short list can be found at her website, maggiesmithwriter.com. This was great. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. been listening to Chicago Writes, the podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. I'd like to thank my guest, Maggie Smith, and thanks to all of you for listening. The Chicago Writers Association is a 501c3 charitable organization. To find out more, visit chicagorights.org. Our theme song is Midnight Ride, courtesy of Dino Lovchich. You can find Dino's music, just like this program, on Spotify. And we're always looking for ways to better this program and make it more useful for you, the writer. Feel free to let me know any suggestions for guests or topics that you would like to see on this program. Contact me at William Turk, that's William, T-U-R-C-K, all one word, lowercase, at yahoo.com. And please begin your subject line with CWA suggestion. And that will do it for this episode of Chicago Writes. Until next time... I'm your host, W.C. Turk. <laughs>